Hi everybody, Mike Wardrock from Encounter Church here, and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast, you could have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our teaching team. And if you're not familiar with that, that's okay. Pentecost is the season where we celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit, the very presence of God with us, among us. And so we get to celebrate that, and we celebrate that over this next month. And I I really want to encourage you that if you're somebody who you haven't maybe taken the time or you felt a little nervous about things of the Holy Spirit before, that this is your time. This is your day. This is your week. And so we're going to do something very, very simple. I'm going to pray as I come and bring the Word of God, which is to say one of the most ancient prayers of the church, that as you put your hands out in front of you and simply say, come Holy Spirit. Why don't we do that now? Just pop your hands out in front of you, right where you are in your room. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, the year is 410 AD. In case you can't tell, I'm telling a story that is not the actual year right now. It is the year 410 AD. And the mighty city of Rome, the capital of the Roman Empire, was invaded and pillaged by the pagan Visigoths. Now, this was not only a shock to those who thought that the empire of Rome would rule forever. It was viewed by some as a judgment on Christianity because at this time, that was the religion of Rome. And many Romans claimed that by removing pagan worship, God was no longer present. There was no longer the power. And so Rome fell. And in response, one of history's greatest thinkers stepped up. Augustine of Hippo was a writer, a philosopher, a bishop, and most of all, just a follower of Jesus. He responded in his masterpiece, The City of God, by asserting that actually Christianity was responsible for the thriving of Rome, in spite of the moral decay of the Roman emperor and the Senate. See, Augustine's argument was, despite the fact that Christianity was the official religion of Rome, Christianity's message is ultimately spiritual and not political. And Augustine argued that Christians should be much more concerned with what he called the New Jerusalem, what he then termed the city of God, over and above earthly politics, which Augustine called the city of man. So you've got the city of God and the city of man. And these cities were symbolic, he said, of two different societies, one that is led by God and the other that is led by human effort. Now, there are many reasons why this book is so important. This is actually one of the great masterpieces of Western thinking, Augustine's City of God. Have a look at it sometime. But for us, as we continue on in our series in New Pentecost, this is why it matters. It matters because we live in this kind of moment right now. We live in a moment where an empire is declining around us, uh, an empire, two empires in fact, one that formed Australia and the other one that culturally influenced us, are both coming to the end of their cultural influence in different ways. Great Britain and the United States, in different ways, we are seeing the end of empires, even as we acknowledge and celebrate the Platinum Jubilee of the Queen, who, I say that not even lightheartedly, she's one of the the great Christian leaders of our time, um, faithful service, long obedience in the same direction. Take a look at the Queen and you'll see a lot of that. But we live in this moment where we are seeing the decline of empire and we feel a little bit out of control. 
And then we come to the church. And if you're a follower of Jesus, and there's a pretty good chance that if you're watching this, you are. We come to the church and what we see is spiritual leaders who we have looked up to falling left, right and center, falling into moral decay, not practicing what they preach, not repenting of sin or worse, outright committing abuses. Horrific stuff. Then we live in, at the same time, not only do we have that happening on one side, on the other side, we have a lot of spiritual leaders who have given up on the way of Jesus altogether. They have simply stopped following Jesus or have turned Jesus into something that they aspire to be rather than aspiring to be the something that Jesus is. They have formed Jesus into a corrupt facsimile, a joke of a God that they can worship because they want to worship the things they want to worship, not worship the living God. On one side, corruption. On the other side, corruption. And as followers of Jesus, there is meant to be a different way. There is meant to be something we stand out from the crowd about. And so in both of these cases, it brings to mind a deep question for us if we follow Jesus. A question about the present and the future. A question that maybe we are afraid to ask. It's a question that is about your theologies and your beliefs. It's a question that is about your lived experience. And this is the question. If God is working through us, if the presence of God is with us, why doesn't it feel like anything's changing? If the presence of God is in us, working through us, if we are meant to be these vessels of God, why does it feel like the world hasn't changed? Let's go back to Acts 1.8 for a second. Kind of a keynote verse for this series. As we just ask that broader question, shouldn't the spirit within us be stronger than the culture around us? Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Beautiful, beautiful passage. Very important. And it says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. If you're at home, say power. Power. Fantastic. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, Jesus promises his disciples in this moment, before he ascends into heaven in front of them, that he will be with them. Now, obviously, that's quite difficult to do if you're about to ascend into heaven. And Jesus, the incarnate presence of God among us, was not omnipresent. He was not in all places at all times. He was confined to a human body. So, but, so how can he minister to all his people all at once? He can't. Who can? The Holy Spirit. So Jesus ascends and he says, it's better that if I go, because then the Spirit will come. And the Spirit will be with you to counsel you, to guide you, to empower you, to lead you. And so the Spirit of God comes down. Jesus says, the very presence of God will be with you. The Shekinah glory, the presence of God that tangibly resided within the holiest of holies in the temple and in the tabernacle in the desert, that power now lives in you if you have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. How about that? The manifest presence of God in you. It's the same power, the same God, the same presence. So it should have an impact, right? Well, Jesus tells his disciples about these places they'll bear witness to him. First, Jerusalem, God's chosen city. Judea, the region where his people live. Samaria, the place where the marginalized gather. And the ends of the earth, the unknown places where the followers of Jesus will take the message about Jesus and bear witness to him in ways that see the world transformed by the Holy Spirit leading them on. So we get then to that day of Pentecost that Jacob unpacked for us so beautifully last Sunday where the disciples gather and the Spirit falls in power. Now, my experience, church, is if you've been a Christian longer than, say, 12 months, 
at some point you've gotten frustrated with something in the church, like not this church probably, but maybe another church, and you've gotten frustrated with something and gone, why can't it be like it was in the book of Acts? Why can't it be like it was when the Spirit just poured out and the disciples gathered together and there was, there was passion and there was energy and there was focus and we just shared our belongings. I was like, oh, really, you want to share your iPhone? Well, not, not my iPhone, but like some of, I would share some of my things, some of my, some of my food. And, you know, it doesn't take too many questions to realize people don't actually want to listen in the t- live in the time of the book of Acts, but they do want the power of the book of Acts. And we are meant to want that power. Why aren't we seeing this again? Now, the easy answer is this. God is not a God of the old. He is a God of the new. He's not a God who goes back and says, why don't I rehash this thing I did a while back and try and bring it back again and see if it comes back around. God is not like jeans where like the the styles are just sort of coming back through. God is definitely not like Crocs, amen? Like God is a God of new beginnings. In the Bible, Jesus talks about it being like new wine is coming. And so you need new wineskins to put the new wine in. Because if you put the new wine in the old wineskins, the old wineskins will break, they'll crack, and then the delicious wine will go all over the ground. And that's, that's a horrible thing in a state like South Australia. So we need not an old Pentecost rehashed, we need a new one. We need something fresh, something we have not seen before. So what does that look like? What might a new Pentecost look like in our lives? Well, I want to offer you this sentence, courtesy of the great Mark says, personal renewal precedes corporate revival. Let me say that for you again. Personal renewal precedes corporate revival. We need to pursue personal renewal if we want to see the kind of Book of Acts stuff that would happen in our time. Now, that's all very well to say, but you might say, Mike, what does that look like? Well, let me talk you through a few markers of the original Pentecost, six markers that would indicate a sign of renewal that would lead to revival. Sayers would say that revival is when renewal goes viral. Revival is when renewal goes viral. What is going on in you? You gather together, two or three, maybe a whole bunch of people doing church, and then it goes viral. That is when we see revival. So what are those six markers? Prayer, the church, presence, miracles, witness, and conviction. Prayer, the church, presence, miracles, witness, and conviction. Let me run through them really quickly. The first, prayer, Acts 1.14. You'll see before we get to Acts chapter 2, where I want to live a little bit this afternoon. You see in prayer in Acts chapter 1 verse 14 that the disciples were united in prayer. Now, they were united in prayer largely because Jesus had told them to go and be united in prayer. So the disciples had heard the voice of God and had obeyed the voice of God. There is nothing more important in your Christian walk than to hear and obey the voice of God. Hear and obey the voice of God. When you do that in prayer, you do it powerfully. The other things the disciples knew is that they wanted God's presence more than they wanted to pursue their own wisdom. See, they could have done other things. They could have gone and gone back to the boats like Peter tried to when he'd betrayed Jesus, that Matthew could have gone back to being a tax collector. They all had professions to fall back on. But instead, they fell back on prayer. Because when we come to the end of ourselves, let me tell you something, the profession that you've known in the past will not sustain you, but prayer will. The presence of God will. So they pursued God in prayer. 
Prayer forces us to ask God for answers before we try it ourselves. Prayer is what we do when we don't have anything left. We would love to pretend that we're really good at prayer, that we come when we're doing really well, we're like, you know what? I'm doing great today. I'm going to pray. Tends to be the other way around. When we come to the end of ourselves, when we're struggling, when we're broken, that's when we come to prayer. Now, God in His grace meets us there. But can I tell you, try and get there early. And if you're like, Mike, I don't know what to pray. I, I, I feel like I should just, just pray what you've got. Pray what you've got. You don't have to pray very much. Pray whatever you can. Now, my words sound silly. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I want to encourage you right now. You're at home right now. You're at a friend's place um, participating in church there. Why don't you just pray today? Why don't you make a conviction with God that you will pray before you, you close off with church today and see what that does to your spirit? Spend a minute in prayer. I'll lead you there later. Now let's go to the second point, and that is the church. In Acts chapter 2, verse 1, the first thing that happens is they gathered together in one place. Okay, I am going to restrain myself here. But the disciples knew that there was unity. Sorry, there's a blessing and there's power in unity and gathering. And if you want to see the power of God and the presence of God break out in your life, then you cannot be half-hearted about your church attendance. I'm sorry, you can't. It's not for me. This is from the Bible. You need to be focused on this. Believe me, I understand. I get up and it's rainy on a Sunday and I think, oh, I think the electric blanket feels pretty good this morning. Or I get up in summer and it's like Charlie's cricket. And I'm like, do you know what? A day out watching cricket sounds spectacular right now. But these are the things that if you let them take out the block of church attendance in your life, will actually take out the discipline, will take out the gathering, will take out the unity, will take out a blessing that God is wanting to give you. Bonhoeffer puts it this way. The great Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, we need to gather together because the Christ that is in my brother is stronger than the Christ that is in me. When I'm by myself, I'm, I'm scared, I'm uncertain, I can get lost so easily. But when I gather with my friends, my sisters and brothers, and they speak life into me and truth and conviction and they pray for me, when we gather as the body, the Christ that is in them, which is stronger than the Christ in me, sustains me and lifts me up. And the Christ in me, which is stronger than the Christ in them, sustains them and lifts them up. You need to gather together. Now next Sunday... This Sunday, as you're watching this, do you know where I will be? Not watching this. I will be in the Gold Coast. And do you know where I'll be? In somebody else's church. Because this is what we do. We're wardrops. We worship. Every Sunday where we go, we are going to find a house of God to worship in as a family. Because I want to position myself and my family every week, week in, week out, to be in the presence of God, gathering together with, with other believers and hearing the Word of God spoken over us and praising and worshipping with others. There is something about that. We make a priority out of doing that. Christians, and I am speaking to the Christians here, stop being so stubborn about this. Just gather together every week. Schedule it in and don't let anything schedule it out. Amen? That's, again, Acts 2.1. It's just right there. Now, let's, let's really dive in. Acts 2.3. Tongues of fire. Whew. Signs of God's power. See, if you want personal renewal to lead to corporate revival, if you want something to happen in your life, you are going to have to pursue and invite and accept and ask for the power power of God in your life. Because when the power comes, it reminds us of who we rely on. 
We're not relying on our own strength at that point because something has come that has overpowered us. That's what happens. The disciples are already gathered in the upper room. They're doing church. They're praying. And then the power of God comes upon them and things start changing. Things start happening. When the power of God comes, things start to change. So I want to ask you, are you asking God for His spiritual gifts? And if you're not familiar with that, let me tell you, you have gifts that God has placed in you for a sovereign purpose. That is, you use them to build up the church. These gifts aren't just to make you pat yourself on the back and feel good about yourself. They are actually for the whole church. You use them to bless the church. Let me talk about the gift of prophecy, for example. In 1 Corinthians 14, Paul talks about the gift of prophecy and he says, this is so important as a gift because if someone walks in and God gives you a word of knowledge, a prophetic word that speaks into their situation and you've never known about it, you've never met them, you've never heard them and you say that to them, they get convicted. Something happens in their spirit that leads them closer to God because you have been faithful with the spiritual gifts in your life. And do you know how we get them? We ask. And God, the good Father, pours them out on us. That is how we know His presence, in part because His power rests in us and we do things through the Holy Spirit that we can't do on our own. That's the power of spiritual gifts. He is longing to bless His people. Are you asking for spiritual gifts? Now, speaking of spiritual gifts, Acts 2.4, speaking in different tongues. People are super comfortable talking about this. I love it. I actually have no problem talking about this because the speaking in different languages, speaking in tongues is a sign of God's miraculous presence. Tongues are fire, the fire resting on the disciples. Fire is a symbol of power. It is a symbol of presence. But the tongues are a symbol of presence in a different way because God doesn't only want you to bless you with spiritual gifts, including speaking in tongues, which is a, a huge gift. And if you've got a prayer language, use it when you can. But he wants to bless you with miracles. Now, I say this clearly as well as carefully. I don't think everything in your life should be a miracle. I mean, by all means, please please lean in. Have that delightful childlike faith that says every breath is a miracle, every moment is a miracle. But what I mean is that there are times in your life where you come to the end of yourself and here's what you're doing. Your first instinct, let, let, me, let me speak really clearly. Let me speak really clearly. Anxiety is rampant in our society. And the first thing I see people do when anxiety hits is, well, actually, the first thing I see them do is nothing. The second thing I see them do is contact a counsellor. Now, the first thing is useless. The second thing is helpful, but it is not as helpful as the Spirit of God. It is not as helpful as seeking prayer first. Friends, prayer, counselling, medication, in that order. Prayer, counselling, medication. You can't do nothing. If this is something that is happening in your life, you need to face it honestly and truthfully. And the first thing you need to do is come to God in prayer and say, God, I'm at the end of myself. Why? Why? Because counselling will only take you so far. And if you remove Jesus from the process, you make your counsellor Jesus. And your counsellor cannot bear that weight. Your counsellor cannot be your saviour. They can be your helper, They cannot be your saviour. You need to come to God and say, God, this anxiety overwhelms me. And when you do that, you are in the tradition of Christians throughout history who have battled with depression, who have battled with anxiety, and again and again have brought it to God. St. John of the Cross called it the dark night of the soul, where it feels like God isn't even with you. But if you bring it to God, even when you don't feel God, then you know the presence of God will sustain you. 
And on the other side, you'll be like Moses parting the Red Sea, hoping, hoping, yes, it's, it's going to stay open the whole way I come through. It feels like a trench, but on the other side is a promised land of hope. God will lead you there, but you need to trust Him. Do you want the miracles of God? Or do you want to just keep going on in your own strength? Because let me tell you from my own experience with mental health, that doesn't go so well. That only goes so far. Friends, you're going to come to the end of yourself. Can you come to God first? Can you come to God first? Number five, bearing witness to God, Acts 2, 11 and 14. Can I tell you, your life is a story God wants the world to read. Your life is a story that God wants the world to read. In Zechariah 4.10, the prophet Zechariah says this beautiful, simple phrase. He says, do not despise the days of small beginnings. Do not despise the days of small beginnings. Now, what does that mean? That means that if you are here and you feel like you don't have much of a story to share with the world, God says, it's the story you've got. And if I'm in it and you know I'm in it, somebody needs to hear that story. Because everything I just said about people looking for their saviour and their counsellor also goes for people looking for their saviour and their parents, their children, their, their spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend, people, their employer, uh, their political party of choice. People are looking for a saviour somewhere. If you don't give them Jesus, they will look for it somewhere else. And that is when the world begins to fall in on itself. Your story, your witness is a part of transforming the world. See, Jacob reminded us last Sunday that God will use our failures and flaws to build his church. God is not looking for the finished product. He is the finished product. And it's his presence as the finished product in your life that shows that there's a story for someone else that they can live into. That is how we see renewal, not just in you, but in the world, that's when renewal goes viral. So you got to share your story. It's not about a finished story. It's just about a story whose trajectory has been interrupted by Jesus. It's your words and deeds. Just let, just let me confirm that. It's not just being a nice person because not only Christians are nice people. I hope we know that. And it's not just sharing your words because if you share your words and then do something different, they're called hypocrites. People don't like that. But it's about word and deed. It's about living out your story with your mouth and with your actions. And here's the final one, number six. Conviction of sin, which leads to salvation. Acts 2.37, Peter preaches at Pentecost as Jacob ran us through on Sunday. And at the end, people were cut to the heart. They're convicted. God's doing something in them. See, God's spirit, church, is speaking to us. Spirit to spirit, deep to deep. And it creates an understanding of the gap between where we are and where God longs us to be, between the city of man and the city of God. It's a holiness gap. And when we invite the Spirit to speak to us, when we sit under teaching like you're doing today, when we, when we engage in worship, we open up the possibility that God will speak to us. And when He speaks, we sense the holiness gap. And when we sense that gap, we feel something. We feel a hit. That's a conviction. It is a conviction that God is asking you to do something about that gap. Now, Jesus has ultimately solved the gap. Amen. But on the way, there are a thousand little decisions we need to make to start transforming our lives. I know people that have given up coffee because God told them to. Given up gaming because God told them to. Given up playing basketball because God told them to. None of these things on their own are wicked. But there is a holiness gap between them and God. And these things for those people were distractions. Now, do you want God? 
the presence, the power, the transformation of God more than you want all the little things of the world? That's the question. That's the question. Now, where does this all go with Revelation 21 and God's renewed city? Well, this is where. In Revelation 21, we see this prophetic image that the Apostle John has been shown by Jesus. There's an objectively beautiful and costly city that comes down from the heavens to inhabit the earth. I saw the crown jewels recently in the Tower of London, and it's actually quite overwhelming. The riches in that building, it's not just the, the crowns and the scepters, it's, it's, there's just gold everywhere. And it's quite overwhelming. And that's kind of the sense I think we're meant to get when we read this passage. The riches are not the point. See, there's actually only two, two truly important things in the city of God. It's not the gold, it's not the emeralds or the other jewels. It's two important things. Number one, the presence of the Lord. Number two, the presence of His people. That's it. The presence of the Lord and the presence of His people. And when the people come into the presence, heaven meets earth. Tears are wiped away. Grief is removed. Death is ultimately finished. Friends, God's renewed city is not bricks and mortar. It's flesh and blood and the Holy Spirit. That's the renewed city. God is building you into His people. We know that the church is in a building. We're glad to be in a building. But we know that the church is in a building. Church is the people of God gathered together deliberately for worship, discipleship and mission. That is what the church is. And we come together in the presence of God intentionally for that. This is how we get a new Pentecost. This is how we get revival. God's people, broken, flawed, but pursuing holy lives that allow God to build something in and through us. Personal renewal preceding corporate revival. See, to get a new Pentecost, we don't just yell at God and hope for the best. We set our own fragile, faithless hearts on an intentional pursuit of becoming like Jesus. We make moment-by-moment moment decisions that transform our spirits so that instead of looking with horror at the city of man around us that frankly doesn't look so good, and it doesn't, we look with repentance as God builds His city around us and uses us to build it. What an honour. We listen for God's voice and we carefully obey it. Often it doesn't seem to make sense. And sometimes people in the church have given up a lot because they know that that's what God's asking them to do. And it can seem a bit extreme because it is. Friends, can I tell you, nobody has ever just had an affair. It's moment by moment brokenness that leads them there. It doesn't just come out of nowhere. And it's the same thing when we intentionally follow God. We don't just have a revival. There are thousands of hearts set on God. Now, how will God respond? Only God knows. We don't control the response. What we control is what we choose to do with our own actions. Moment by moment, day by day, every small decision where you say no to something that is of the world and yes to something that is of the Lord, you are pursuing revival. Every time in your heart you make a decision that your heart wants you to be bitter about someone, you make the decision not to be. That is a decision towards revival. That is a decision towards new life in Christ. That is a decision of hope. See, doing it in our own strength isn't working. Our plans suck. We don't know what we're doing. You don't. Bless you, but you don't. To see a new Pentecost come, 
to see a new outpouring of God's Spirit in a way that transforms the world forever, it's going to take some extreme decisions. Let me give you a micro version of my, my version of this. When I was 21, I went on a journey of repentance because God had asked me to go and apologize to a series of people who I'd wronged or hurt in different ways. Now, was that awkward and uncomfortable? You better believe it. Really awkward and uncomfortable, especially because I kept crying while it was happening. But this was what I needed to do for God to work in me. Do you know what I think the most important part of that was? Was it the saying sorry? No. Was it the receiving forgiveness? No. It was the obedience. God spoke, I obeyed. And that, maybe I can't plant a church 20 years later without that. God speaks we obey. It's obedience in the little things that create big things. It's personal renewal that leads to corporate revival. So our original question, church, was this. If God is working through us, why isn't the world around us getting better? Well, it, it is. It is getting better. Every time a follower of Jesus chooses the light instead of the darkness, it gets better. Let me give you one example. A couple of weeks ago, I was in Clapham Common in England, and I went looking for the house where William Wilberforce lived, because he lived in Clapham. And William Wilberforce was a British politician in the 1700s. He was the, the spearhead of abolishing the slave trade. Wilberforce was a Christian who made a deliberate decision that he was going to pursue life in Christ, and that life in Christ meant freedom and liberty for all people. And so he did that at great cost to himself, both financially, he had to obviously renounce anything he'd ever done in the slave trade, and then politically, because he had to fight against people who would have been friends of his previously to make sure it got over the line to end the slave trade in England, which has ripple effects because the center of an empire ending slave trade effectively ends it across a lot of the globe. Now, if Wilberforce didn't do it, would someone else have done it? Probably. Who knows how much longer it would have taken, but probably. Do you know who that matters for? Every single slave from the time of Wilberforce to whenever that would have been. Thousands upon thousands of lives were changed because one Christian man said, I can use my influence as a politician and my Christian life and bring them together to see a change that changes the world. That is an act of renewal that brings revival for an entire generation of black people that would have been enslaved in England and beyond. Liberty, hope. See, when Christians set their hearts on personal renewal, when you want the Spirit of God to move more than anything else, that's when heaven begins to break into earth. That's when the kingdom of God comes. And this is the work we have to do while we wait for Jesus to come again. Our job is to help make earth more like heaven. Maybe that means we'll get less of a jolt when heaven comes to earth. See, church, we're focused on the city of man, not the city of God. And if you're, if you're listening to this, you're watching, you're a follower of Jesus, I'm willing to bet that, and you're at heart of hearts, you're going, well, I, not really. No, I, I follow Jesus. I love Jesus. But yeah, 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 yeah. I believe you. I'm not, I'm not trying to question your belief. What I'm trying to ask is in a culture around you that's incredibly strong, a thousand calls to watch Netflix, cheat on your spouse, abuse drugs or alcohol, even just be disrespectful to leadership, to parents, to, to government. Every decision you make to reject those choices and follow Jesus is an act of renewal in your life that leads to revival.
every one of those choices. And so what I'm asking you, church, what I'm putting before you is this, what do you want? What do you want more? Do you want a life of comfort and no power or discomfort in the power of God? Because let me tell you, Wilberforce was working in the power of God, but he had immense discomfort under immense political pressure. Every time you work in the power of God, you'll be in discomfort. You'll be outside of a place you are comfortable being in. But God will have come in and stepped in in power. Because in our flaws and in our failures, but in our faith, God moves. God comes in and fills that gap. That is the gap He's waiting for us. He's waiting for us to get off the couch. He's waiting for us to take the grief. And church, let me say, real grief, real grief, I know. But take that real grief and say, I can't carry it alone. Only God, only God. Oh, what little faith I have, God, I bring it to You in my flaws, in my failures, in my pain. God, I bring it to You. And you might be watching this and you are one of those people. And it's my privilege, Jenna, my privilege to bear the burdens of our people. I know the pain of our people. But that pain can only fully be taken by Jesus. Bring it to Him first. He will renew you. He's not waiting for it all to get better. He's longing to renew you right now. Church, what do you want? Do you want a life of comfort and no power or discomfort and the power and presence of God? The choice is yours. I cannot make it for you. But here's what I want to do. I want to invite you into this moment to focus on the city of God and to invite the presence of God because God wants to do something new and He wants to use you, but it's up to you to step into that and say, I believe it and I want it. If that's you, I want to invite you at home right now. The beauty of doing online church, there's nothing manipulative happening in this room. This is you at home. And the power of God is going to convict you and speak to you. Not me, the power of God. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. Just reach out your hands. In 1 Corinthians 16, Paul, he says this beautiful Aramaic word, Maranatha. It just means come, come, Jesus, come. Maranatha, stretch out your hands. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Lord, in our pain, would you do a work of healing? In our grief, would you have your arms around us? But Lord, we bring our grief to you. We bring our pain to you. In our sin, would we find not only repentance, but forgiveness? Lord, in our guilt, would we find mercy? In our shame, would we find restoration? In our bitterness, would we find forgiveness? Would you heal us, Lord? But first, Maranatha, come, come. As you have your hands outstretched, God's asking you, bring this to Him. That just means say what it is. You can say it out loud if you're alone. I think that's a great thing to do. If you're in a room with other people, you may just want to name it in your mind. This is what I've been trying to hold back and wrestle with on my own. Or maybe you brought it to God and then you've taken it back and brought it and taken it back because you're not sure if you can trust Him with it. Just give it to Him again. So get sometimes the biggest things, we need to give them to God again and again. Lord, I give this to you. I want that spiritual renewal in my life. I want that filling, that indwelling of the Spirit, the power, the presence. 
I want to be a man of prayer, gathered in unity in the church with my sisters and brothers. The power of God, the presence of God, the conviction of God. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus, just sit in this moment. I know you're at home. I know you're watching a screen and and it feels different. But the Spirit of God is with you in this moment. Don't shrug it off. Don't shrug it off. Don't leave yet. Just focus. Somebody, you're, you're at home right now and you're, you're shaking. You, 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 you want to cry. You don't know why. God's just saying, just let it out. It's okay. It's okay. You're bringing the pain. You're bringing yourself to God right now. Just bring that to God. And there's others of you, I think this is more than one person. You're, and if this is you, just, just please let our team know, let our online church hosts know so that, that we, can, we can pray for you and that we can know what God is saying. But there's others of you that right now you feel uh, really stifled. You feel like you don't know which way to turn and, and that uh, there's, there's something that God wants to do in you, but you don't know what to do with it. Just, just pause for a moment. Just, just put that aside. Write them down if you need to. God does want to speak. He does want to guide you. Just put that aside. Take a few deep breaths. God's speaking. He's speaking. Calm, Lord Jesus. Calm, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And, you know, this feels like the least exciting prophecy in the world, but there's, uh, there's somebody at home, you're, you're a mum and you're just tired. Yeah, this is, I know it hardly feels prophetic, but you'll know, you will know that this is you. And, and you're specifically tired with your kids. Like it's all of life, but it's your kids in particular. You can bring that to God without shame. It's okay. He loves you. In your moment of greatest brokenness, that's when the mercy of God, the grace of God shines through most powerfully. Just bring that to God. Don't be ashamed. Just bring that to God. Relax. You can actually trust God with that. He's not judging you for it. Bring that to God. God, for all these people, we just pour out your blessing on them, your Holy Spirit. And we just ask right now, if you you put your hands down, just stretch them back out again. Would you fill them with your Holy Spirit even now? Fill them with your Holy Spirit, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. I pray that you were able to hear from God in a fresh way today. We would love to hear from our listeners. To connect with us or to financially support the work of Encounter, please jump on our website, encounteradelaide.com.au. And if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to jump onto iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast provider and give us a rating and review. Or share this message on your social media accounts and tag us at Encounter Adelaide. God bless. Have an amazing week.